You're listening to Ithaca Now, WICB's weekly news podcast focused on stories in the Ithaca community. I'm your host, Madri Sait, and thanks for joining us. On tonight's episode, WICB news correspondents Michael Memes and Christian Maitri bring you the history of WICB in the first episode of their series, Exploring the History of Student Media in Ithaca College. And news assistants Beck Legato and Emma Kirsting, along with myself, continue our conversation with CAPS Director Brian Peterson about mental health on Ithaca College's campus. But up first, we have Christian Maitri and Caroline Grass with Community Beat and George Christopher with this week's Politics Beat. An invasive species called the Asian jumping worm, which thrash around unlike other earthworms, are spreading through New York State and have the capability to harm soil and gardens this spring. The New York State Department of Environmental Conservation classifies the jumping worm as a prohibited invasive species that cannot be knowingly possessed with the intent to sell, import, purchase, transport, or introduce. Residents are encouraged to look in their yards for these worms and kill them to prevent their spread and make sure they do not use these worms as fishing bait. The Ithaca Police is looking for assistance in identifying two suspects wanted for property damage in Ithaca. Multiple reports of damage being done to both ATMs near banks and parking meters around the city of Ithaca have been reported. Both Tompkins County Trust Company and the CFCU Credit Union reported that their ATMs had been damaged last Tuesday morning. The police department released photos of the two suspects taken by surveillance cameras. They're asking anyone with relevant information about the situation to report it to the station, dispatch, or tip line. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer announced $8.5 million of federal funding for the Cornell High Energy Synchrotron Source Lab, known as the Chess Lab, which will create over 300 jobs in the Ithaca area. This funding is in addition to the $32 million of funding from the National Science Foundation the Chess Lab received in October. The lab has created discoveries leading to two Nobel Prizes, and jobs brought to the area will be science and tech-based as well as construction jobs to run the high magnetic field beamline x-ray that is housed in the lab. The Tompkins County Health Department is reminding residents that continuing to follow COVID safety precautions will help keep the spread of the virus low as people travel this weekend for the holiday. Hospitalization rates and cases are low in the county, and there has been a slight increase in the amount of cases. Public Health Director Frank Krupa said, quote, We're reminding the community that they have the tools to reduce risk. Stay up to date on vaccination, wear a high-quality mask, and stay home if sick and get tested. Two housing projects in Ithaca have been proposed to create multi-lot, single-family housing. The first development will create eight single-family houses for the Karen refugee community who have fled from Myanmar and moved to Ithaca over the last few years. The housing is planned to be built on undeveloped land that the eco-village currently owns. The other development comes from Visum Development Group with plans to build a 52-lot community in East Ithaca on the previous Greenways parcel on Strawberry Hill Circle. Both projects will be reviewed by the Planning Board of the Town of Ithaca for initial concept reviews on April 19th. The City of Ithaca is responding to complaints about the increase of homeless encampments as the weather starts to get warmer. In response, earlier this year, the Ithaca Urban Renewal Agency released a report on possible avenues the city could take to address homelessness. 
The report blames the city's housing issue as a contributor to the large amount of encampments in the local area. The possible solutions they came up with were clearing out encampments with little to no occupants, increasing dialogue between the city, outreach workers, and the homeless population, and allocating more funds into resources for the homeless. For Caroline Glass, I'm Christian Matry, WICB News. This is your weekly politics beat. I'm George Christopher. On Tuesday, New York Lieutenant Governor Brian Benjamin resigned after being arrested and indicted. According to the Associated Press, Benjamin was indicted on charges of bribery, fraud, and falsification of documents as a part of a federal probe. Benjamin allegedly sought political donations from a real estate developer in exchange for using his position as a state senator to secure state funds for a nonprofit controlled by the developer. The alleged actions came during Benjamin's campaign for New York City Controller in 2021. Benjamin is still the Democratic Party designee for the lieutenant governor's nomination. The lieutenant governor is nominated in a statewide primary separate from the governor's primary. Then the governor and lieutenant governor nominees run on a united ticket. Because Benjamin is the official party designee, he cannot be removed from the ballot unless Benjamin changes his residence to outside New York State or seeks a different office. Two other Democrats are in the primary, Anna Maria Archila, the preferred candidate of Jemani Williams, and Diana Reyna, the preferred candidate of Tom Swosey. The Ithaca Voice has confirmed two candidates seeking the Republican nomination for mayor of Ithaca. The Voice has confirmed that conservative activists Zachary Wynn and William Metro, better known as Magic Man, have submitted designating petitions to the Tompkins Board of Elections. This November, Ithaca will hold a special mayoral election to fill the final year of the mayor's term. On the Democratic side, acting Mayor Laura Lewis is seeking to remain in the mayor's office through 2023. Lewis became mayor after longtime mayor Savante Myrick stepped down earlier this year. New York State's primary is scheduled for June 28th. The Ithaca City School District has approved its $148.9 million budget for fiscal year 2022-2023, but will still face a public referendum in May. According to the Ithaca Voice, the budget will raise the tax levy by 7.2%. The tax levy is the amount of money the city will have to collect to help cover the budget. This would mean the school district residents would see an increase in property tax collections while the tax rate remains the same. A referendum will be held on May 17th, and the budget must be approved with a 60% majority. Reporting for Ithaca Now, I'm George Christopher. You're listening to Ithaca Now. I'm your host, Madri Said. Ithaca College was founded in 1892 as a music conservatory, but how far back does the history of student media at the college go? WICB News correspondents Michael Memis and Christian Maitri try to answer this question by exploring the history of the different student media on campus. In this first episode, they look at the history of WICB, our award-winning radio station that you're tuned into right now. An Ithaca tradition for over 70 years, WICB. WICB Radio has been serving Ithaca for over 70 years, starting way back in 1941. For WICB News, I'm Michael Memes. And I'm Christian Matry. In this series, we're discussing the history of student media at Ithaca College. First, you'll hear from Jeremy Menard, Ithaca College's current manager of television and radio operations, about the early history of WICB. 
some of the key dates. The very first date on here is 1941. It says, Makeshift Radio Studios built in basement of Little Theater Dressing Room at 120 East Buffalo Street, known as the Green Room. Grassroots attempt at radio broadcasting. Little equipment, no transmitters, just room-to-room, public address type broadcasting. Call letters, it looks like WICR were used. Hmm. Michael P. Hanna established the radio department and was the first instructor in the department, 1941. The next entry, 1947, radio department moved to expanded quarters at 101 East Court Street, now site of Tompkins County Public Library, known as the Radio Shack. Full-size studios and offices, Quonset Hut Building, came from Sampson Air Force Base. 1947, radio department applied to the FCC for a non-commercial educational FM broadcast license. 1947, we always say since 1948, because in 1948, the FCC granted the license to Ithaca College, went on the air with assigned call letters WITJ-FM, operating at 88.1 with 10 watts. 1949, drama radio department established, 55, radio TV department established, and then in 1957, new radio TV center opened at 124 East Buffalo Street, complete radio and TV facilities, WITJ became WICBFM, um, which of course stands for W Ithaca College Broadcasting. WITJ became WICBFM and was assigned a new dial setting of 91.7, still with 10 watts. So when people ask me about the history, it sounds like 1941 is when radio started within Ithaca College students. 1947 is when the license was applied for. 48 to me is the start of WICB. So how old is WICB? I would I would mark 1948 in my opinion because that's when the FCC recognized the station as a non-commercial educational channel and licensed. And it started out 88.1 WITJ and then I guess another key date then is March 1st 1957 because that became WICB 91.7 yeah. FM. In 1964, Rudy Palangeli, a 1954 graduate, became the radio director for WICB. He served in the position until 1983. During that time, the station played a variety of different things, according to Toll Tompkins, who attended Ithaca College from 1969 to 1972 and has compiled historical information on the student media outlets at the college. FM was always, when it went on the air, uh, back even when it was not called WICB-FM, uh, was sort of a traditional college station at the time. So there would be interview programs, there would be public affairs programs, there would be a broadcast of uh, the music department doing uh, a symphony, for example. And uh, I think there were even some instances where they uh, broadcast plays on the radio. So very traditional kind of old fashioned radio back then. And when they didn't have those kinds of programs available, they would play records because that's what you played back then was records. Um, so it was, it, was, it was not really formatted you couldn't tune in the station and say, I know what I'm getting when I tune in. It depends on when you tuned in and what was on at the time. So, you know, that was what college stations did back then. The station moved to the basement of Dillingham in 1968. The layout of the station looked a lot different than what it does now. I saw the studio, your current studios recently, and the difference, I think, was that uh, many of the programs, especially on the FM side, 
were done with an announcer or announcers and a separate engineer. So the control room could have been used uh, by one person, but many times there was an engineer there and then there was a larger studio next to it and the on-air people were there. And, you know, it wasn't really necessary. It was kind of cool to do it that way. And of course, everybody got to learn how to engineer. The format then was adult top 40. However, that has obviously changed. Peter King went to the school from 1974 to 1978 and got to see some of the evolution of the station during and after college. Later, the format evolved into a really great album rock format. Steve Goldstein gets the credit for that. He followed me by a year and we were classmates and very good friends. And he's the guy who really helped turn it into into an, an even bigger force. There are a lot of specialty shows. Uh, Recollections, the oldie show I told you about. We used to run American Top 40 with Casey Kasem. Only college station in the country to run it because two alums worked for the show over at Watermark, the syndicator. My freshman roommate, a guy named Rick Frischman, did a Saturday afternoon show called The Best of Broadway. The Best of Broadway debuted in 1957 and is still around today. It is the longest running specialty show. Though WICB started out at 10 watts, it eventually made its way up to 5,500 watts in the mid-70s, leading to a big increase in listenership, according to King. But when we got power boost in early 1976 to 5,500, that certainly helped increase the listenership. We had a lot of people listening. A number of stores downtown had us on uh, during the week, during weeknights. And Hal's Deli used to have us on uh, sometimes. Uh, Mayor's Smoke Shop, which was uh, a big player back then. And a whole bunch of other stores downtown. We had a great audience at Cornell, and, and a lot of the townies listened to us because, you know, they got tired of listening to the other stuff, and, and we didn't run commercials, so that kind of helped us, too. WICB is at 4,100 watts today. In 1985, Chris Wheatley became the manager of radio operations four years after graduating from the college. He helped transition the station to a modern rock format in his first few years. Modern rock is, was kind of, in many ways, the brainchild of Chris Wheatley. I know that that was something that was really important to him, to have a format station um, and to have something that was consistent with the type of music that was being played. A big reason of why WICB and VIC, for that matter, operate with a format is it prepares, goes with the idea of being a pre-professional station. It prepares students for how professional stations are run. And something also that you learn from being a formatted station is how to maintain um, a listener's attention over an extended period of time, to maintain listenership. Um, a lot of college radio stations are free format. Free format means it changes semester to semester, sometimes day to day, week to week, things like that. So you could be listening to one type of music, the next hour is a different type of music, the next hour is a different type of music, the next day it's completely different. And while at some schools that's important um, because it allows... I mean, allows people to kind of the freedom to choose and in some schools that's important. I think it is really important at, at Ithaca College and WICB to train students to maintain a listener, but to also understand that this is how it works in professional broadcast is having structure, um, having a format. When someone turns on the radio, there's something to be said that when they turn on ICB, they know the general type of music that they're going to hear. And I think that is really important. 
Wheatley is also responsible for WICB's tagline, The Station for Innovation. WICB moved into its current home at the Roy H. Park School of Communications when it was built in 1989. In a 1990 WICB schedule, you start to see a lot of the shows that are still around today. There was City Rhythms, which is now Weekend Rhythms, Jazz Impressions, Blues Progressions, Looking Back, Reggae Explosions, Sunday Morning Jazz, Sports Talk, and Hobo's Lullaby. In 2003, WICB added an emergency generator, becoming the first radio station in Tompkins County capable of functioning without electric power. In 2017, Menard took over for Wheatley as the manager of radio operations. WICB continues to be one of the top college radio stations in the country and wins awards yearly across their departments. Next time, we will talk about WICB's sister station, VIC, soon after a very important event in the station's history. For WICB News, I'm Michael Mames. And I'm Christian Matry. Last week, you heard the first part of Beck Legato, Emma Kirsting, and my conversation with Brian Peterson and Michelle Good about mental health on campus, the introduction of San Velo, and student burnout. Today, we continue our conversation with Peterson on these topics and more in the second part of our mini-series on mental health in IC. College students have always been particularly vulnerable to mental health issues and answers to many of their questions regarding mental health are often unclear. How to get in contact with mental health professionals, how to get through a depressive episode, how to even prevent an anxiety attack, the list goes on. This is the second of a multi-part series which will tackle the question, how do college students combat mental illness in the midst of a global pandemic? With the start of the pandemic, mental health was brought to the forefront due to the number of students who needed help learning how to live with grief, learning how to control their anxiety, or dealing with a host of other problems. At Ithaca College, Counseling and Psychiatric Services, also known as CAPS, is a program in place to help students manage these issues. To learn more about these services, we continued our conversation with CAPS Director Brian Peterson about mental health on campus from a medical professional point of view. We discussed topics like student burnout, the effect of the pandemic, and the services that CAPS offers students here on Ithaca College's campus in the continuation of our conversation. If you missed the first part of our conversation, you can find it at Ithaca Now on your favorite podcast apps. How do you think, like in your experience, staff has sort of responded and, you know, like how staff mental health has been affected since coming back? Because, you know, we talked about students having issues with anxiety in social life and whatsoever, but like how has the transition been for staff members? You know, we've all been through this together, right? So the same fear and anxiety students have been dealing with, faculty and staff, and everyone in Ithaca and everyone in New York State and everybody in the world has been dealing with. So, um, you know, I think that sometimes faculty and staff uh, feel like they can't show their fear or their anxiety. You know, we, we have to role model, you know, for, for students, and we have to walk into a classroom and be confident, and, you know, teach, and we have to like suppress some of what we're feeling in order to do our jobs. Um, and so what I'm hearing from faculty and staff is like, with all that suppression going on, you know, when the feelings do come, um, they can be pretty intense. You know, right now there's a, well, coming into this school year, there was a lot of concern about, you know, classes in person again. 
um, not only from the, what's the, what is the student experience of that going to be, because you're all sitting in an auditorium next to each other, but what, what, what's that going to be like for the professor who may be in their 50s and 60s and has an underlying medical condition, and yet the school is saying everybody needs to be back in the classroom because we want to give people that experience. But so, you know, I think that the San Velo app offers the same kind of self-control possibilities to faculty and staff as it does to students. But faculty and staff may use it, may use it a little differently. So to each their own, you know, and I think that's that's the flexibility of the app. But but I think you know, uh, teachers, faculty, staff have been, you know, they're starting to have to kind of recognize what the last two years have done, you know, in terms of our 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 overall level of anxiety. Yeah, kind of shifting gears a little bit. I wanted to ask, um, I was on the CAPS website previous to this, and on it, it said that this pathways training is CAPS's main outreach method. I wanted to ask um, if you could elaborate on that, like what does that entail for you? Um, well, pathways is uh, the main uh, suicide prevention outreach that we do. Um, so, you know, a part of what we do is certainly to focus on suicide and suicide prevention, um, because that's everybody's nightmare, right? Is that someone is, is struggling so much that suicide becomes something that they think about or they might even attempt. So uh, Pathways is the uh, training that we offer um, to faculty and staff and to the RAs um, and other student, uh, students that are working with students. Um, just to sort of give them some skills and tools and the ability to feel like they have some confidence if they're intervening with someone who's uh, attempting to hurt themselves or wants to hurt themselves. Um, so we do that, you know, during orientation with the, all of the RA and RD staff. We do it throughout the year with different student groups. Um, it's not something that we do overall with all, the, with all students. Um, but one of the goals for the Jed Foundation initiative is we want to select a gatekeeper training program that we will roll out to all students, faculty, and staff, hopefully in the next two years, that will focus on uh, not only how to help students in distress, but also give some training around how to recognize um, suicidality um, and, and you know, help students get the help that they need. So it's, it's one thing that I, I, I personally like doing those trainings. I think uh, we, do, we do them with OPS, um, you know, uh, and other and other faculty and staff offices too. We also have supported. Uh, there's a faculty member, Rachel Wagner, um, who uh, is trained in mental health first aid, and so we sponsor her getting trained as a trainer. And now she is doing trainings with faculty and staff around mental health first aid, which is another um, training program. So. Something that we've been thinking about, even like as we're approaching this story is, you know, like, I think a lot of staff and students and clubs and everything has, have seen sort of this like decline in motivation and productivity mm -hmm. among students. And we talked about like the anxiety and social stuff. And I just was wondering if you could touch upon sort of the productivity aspect of it and yeah. how to sort of deal with, you know, concerns that professors may have with, oh my God, this student just doesn't show up to my class or like club with clubs being like, okay, like this person is not doing this and that and that, or we just have all these open positions and no, no one is applying. So 
you know, like kind of with that. Yeah. Well, it makes me think two things. Number one, you know, if everybody's anxieties moved up from a three out of 10 to a five out of 10, it means that everybody's burning more energy. So if you figure you start off the day with like a full gas tank, um, how fast are you burning through that gas? And what do you have left over later in the day? You know, and I think, I think one of the impacts of the pandemic is we're all burning through our gas much faster than we normally do. So we just don't have a lot of extra energy left over for other stuff. Our brain may be saying, I want to join this club and get involved in this theater production and do this thing and, you know, go to that show and whatever. And then we get to the end of the day and we're just like, all I want to do is go back to my room, you know, so I don't show up to the meeting. I don't follow through with some promise that I made. And it's not because I'm a bad person or I'm unreliable or I lied about my interests. It's just literally, I've just run out of steam. I just don't have the motivation to connect that way. Um, and I think, you know, I, I talked to faculty and staff about this too, is we can't expect, I think, especially this year, the same level of energy that maybe we've expected in the past. So, you know, April, so what's, so the other part is what's normal, right? April is always one of those months that's just crazy town. Everybody's got papers to write. All the theater productions are happening at once. It's like, you know, everybody's rushing to the finish line. And in fact, you know, faculty are just pouring on the get this project done. And now you got to do your in-class presentations. And it's just, it becomes mind numbing, right? And what's one of the first things we do when we are overwhelmed? We hide, right? We don't go. I, I, I just anecdotally talking to faculty this semester, I know the absenteeism has been an issue. People that just turn on their, you know, if, if they're if they're going via Zoom, they they turn on the meeting, they turn off the camera, and they're probably you know just checked out, right? But they're hoping they get credit for attending because you know the professors still have their attendance policies, right? Um, but I've talked to a lot of students this year about, I just can't get up and get to class. Those early morning classes, especially right now, are a killer. They're, they're always hard, but, but now they're, they're like, I'm exhausted. I'm mentally exhausted. I'm physically exhausted. I need my sleep. I can't get to that 8 a.m. class anymore. So again, I don't think there's any, when we think about motivation, when we think about involvement, I don't think there's anything sinister going on here. I don't think people are less interested. I don't think people are like, ah, student clubs, who cares? Um, I just think people just don't have the bandwidth right now to do everything that they thought they wanted to, you know? Um, there's an old saying, their, their eyes were bigger than their appetite, you know? It's like, oh my God, there's all these things I could do. And, and yeah, I wanna do that, 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 and that. And then you just literally can't do it. And now you're kind of like, now you feel bad. Now you feel guilty. Well, I joined this club and you know, they're having a meeting tonight, but I just really don't wanna go. Am I a bad person? No. I've heard that. I've heard students actually ask me in counseling this year, am I a bad person? Cause I, I blew that off or I didn't go to that or whatever. I'm like, no, you're not a bad person. You're overwhelmed, you know? Um, so I am hoping this is kind of the, the last we're gonna see of this when we all come back next fall and it feels 
maybe the energy's come down from a five out of, you know, the anxiety's come down from a five out of 10 back down to maybe a three out of 10. Um, then people are going to have that extra energy to do the extra things. Because really that's, I mean, that's one of the goals of going to college, right? It's not just the academics, but it's the, all the other stuff that you can experience and learn and grow from. So. We'll see. Definitely. And um, what factors do you think really played into this um, burnout that you've been seeing in a lot of students? Well, I think, you know, again, the first answer is we just don't have our normal reserves. So we're, we're burning out quicker than than we usually do but but by this time of the semester people are just burnt out senior burnout is a whole different thing uh senior burnout is like it's like the moment when you see the finish line and because you can see the finish line you think you're done no you still got like 500 yards to run you know you you, you actually have to run the last half a mile just because you see the crowd and the finish line doesn't mean you're there yet but it's a psychological kind of fake out. It's like second semester, senior year, students are just tired. Plus now throw on the anxiety of like, oh my God, I'm graduating. Now what? You know, um, and that's, that's a very specific kind of fear. It's a very specific kind of anxiety because some students reach their second semester, senior year, and they don't know what they're going to and it's not because they've been procrastinating and sloughing off, to, you know, it's just literally life has changed. Maybe they changed their major halfway through. Maybe they've got a whole different idea about what would make them happy in life now, but, but they just don't have it in place yet. And so there's a lot of fear and anxiety there. So I think when we talk about burnout, we got to talk about kind of different kinds of burnout. Um, first year burnout is just, you know, students that are just overwhelmed. This is way harder than high school was. There's way more going on. I didn't expect this level of, of stuff. Um, actually, I think the psychologically healthiest students on a college campus are usually the sophomores and juniors. Because you're past the first year level of anxiety. Um, you're not freaking out about graduating yet. You're kind of in the pocket of like, hey, college is kind of fun. Hopefully, hopefully, you know. You're, you're having some social interactions, you're doing stuff. Um, so I don't, I see less signs of burnout other than just work related. Like the professors are giving us too much work. That's a classic complaint, right? Because the, the it's like the professors get together and it's like, okay, let's make everything do on the same day. You know, it's like there's scheming scheming it, you know? No, it, but, it, but that's kind of how it works out, right? Don't you get the impression every once in a while, it's like, really, everything's due on, on Thursday? by five, really? So that's an everyday expected kind of burnout though. So, so I think burnout, again, is worse now because people just didn't enter this year with the normal amount of resilience. Um, but people are getting through it. You, know? you will always remember this experience because you were in college during COVID. You know, you're going to be boring your grandparents or grandkids someday with, with like, you guys think you have it odd? Well, I went to school in the middle of a pandemic, you whiners, you know, so this hasn't been easy. You got it. You have to give yourself credit for what you have been juggling. here. So, and that's when I do counseling with students, that's literally one of the things I eventually get to is like what you have just done has been incredibly difficult. Give yourself credit. 
because no one has done this before. Nobody, nobody's attended college in the middle of a pandemic. Well, maybe in 1928, that's the Spanish flu. Um, but nobody in our time has, has attended college, has had to face the obstacles and the challenges that you all have. And of course you're burnt out, of course you're tired and exhausted, you know? So give yourself credit for surviving all of this. You know? Next year, no excuses, but right now, give yourself credit. You know? Do you think that this first year burnout that you were kind of describing has been pushed on to second years and sophomores because it's this their year, first semester yeah. on campus? Yeah, because even though someone was doing telehealth last year, you don't know what college is like until you're physically here. You don't know what dealing with a roommate is. You don't know what dealing with the guy who's passed out in the bathroom is and you're trying to just, you know, use the toilet. And, I mean, none of that's happening in your bedroom at home, you know? Um, so yeah, all of the challenges of college, now two classes are dealing with at the same time. Um, so I would even to say to a certain extent, the juniors, because we left like right it after started, the, it started with our freshman year. <laughs> and yeah. then we, yeah, and then I think we came back as juniors and everyone just expected us to be juniors and know stuff. And we're just here like, uh, internally though, I'm still a freshman, so you know, and you're absolutely right, because I've heard people talk about how everybody's regressed two years, not just students, but faculty and staff, too. I mean, everybody's just, you know, hunkered down and become like, you know, just the smaller version of ourselves in some way just to get through this. So you're absolutely right. Yeah. You, your second semester of your first year, it all shut down. So we will get back to normal, I hope. I, I hope that COVID's going to become like the flu and we'll just get our shots in the fall and get on with life. And it's starting to feel that way a little bit, but we're so desperate for it to be better that I think we're pushing it too. Absolutely. And um, I think our next question would be, uh, what are you particularly proud of when talking about CAPS? Um, I think we, we have a really good group of counselors. I think we have very empathic, very caring, very tuned in people. I think they're very good at their jobs. They, they are, you know, they know what students are concerned about and they listen, they listen, they listen. Um, we've had a lot of uh, challenges ourselves. We've lost four staff in the last year and a half. Um, and, um, We've had to hire some new staff that are coming in. We're right in the middle of hiring a third new staff for this year. Um, so we've had to adjust to that. And all the other the counselors have had to keep working and doing their stuff in the middle of all of this. Um, you know, counselors have had to deal with their own family crises. I have a counselor at home right now whose entire family has COVID. Um, and so, you know, they're dealing with that. Um, and we just keep rolling along. So I think we have a really good sense of teamwork here and you know i would love to have five more counselors we're going to get uh, even if we we're going to hire one another one this semester um and then we'll be two positions down and we hope to hire an associate director um by the fall so then we'll be one one position down than we were uh two years ago um, so I, I think the administration has bought into what we're doing. I think we've gotten a lot of really good um, support from them. When I've said we need to keep the, the, the hiring level at, you know, at least 10 counselors plus the director, 
Um, they've listened to that and they've let us keep, you know, in the middle of a budget crisis, they've let us keep hiring and, and interviewing uh, counselors. So I think that's a testament to them seeing that we are, we're working hard over here and we're trying to provide the services that uh, um, students are asking for. So I feel really, really good about that. Um, after this year, I may sleep for the next 10 years, but you know, it's, <laughs> but yeah, if we didn't have the sense of teamwork, this wouldn't work. Um, and, and being a director, I mean, I'm a first time director. I, I came from Pace University in New York. I was an associate director there, which basically meant I kind of did the everyday running of the clinic, but now I'm in charge of policies and procedures and how CAFS interfaces with the school. And that's a higher level of responsibility. And I have to go to all the high level meetings and make sure that our voice is represented and the mental health needs of students are represented in those meetings as well. Um, and uh, I just feel like we've gotten a lot of support because the CAPS counselors have busted their ass and done their job and, and helped a lot of people and people are noticing that. So. And we don't have a wait list. Let's get rid of this myth once and for all. We have not had a wait list in two years. But it's still out there. I, he, I still hear students say, oh, yeah, no, no, I don't even bother calling CAPS because it's going to take like eight weeks to get it. No, no, no. I will hunt that myth down and I will kill it. Yeah, we'll, we'll try to help you through that by hearing this. <laughs> right. I mean, we, and, you know, we have walk-in hours every day between two and four, too. So we're, we're available. Through our conversation with Peterson, we found out that there's a lot that CAPS has to offer that students may not even know about, and that they're always open to feedback. For anyone struggling with mental health or other issues on campus, CAPS wants to send out the message that they are here for you. For WICB News, I'm Beck Legato. I'm Madri Seth. And I'm Emma Kersting. That's all for this edition of Ithaca Now. You can listen to all of our stories on WICB.org. And if you'd like to listen to past shows, follow WICB on SoundCloud and subscribe to Ithaca Now to hear this show anywhere, anytime. Also subscribe to The Latest to hear our daily newscast every weekday. To search WICB News Presents on your favorite podcast app. For more updates throughout the week, follow WICB News on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. This show wouldn't happen without the support and assistance from Manager of Television and Radio Operations Jeremy Menard, WICB Station Manager Connor Hibbert, and Programming Director Harrison Kona. Thank you. Ithaca Now is produced by News Director Himadri Sait, that's me, with assistance from News Managing Director Jordan Broking, News Production Director Beth Legato, and Social Media and Web Coordinators Emma Kirsting and Inbaini Anbarasan. All of the music from our show's intro and outro comes from Dr. Dundiff of Louisville, Kentucky. Have any feedback, story ideas, just want to say hi. Feel free to reach out by emailing news at wicb.org. We will be back with a full episode of Ithaca Now at 7 p.m. next Sunday.